Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. There are certain stories, certain poems that for some reason get passed on from generation to generation. For instance, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Why do we all know this? Why does everybody in the room know this poem? And where did it come from? What's the origin of this story? Now, I did the research so you don't have to. I looked it up because I was curious. And nobody knows. Nobody has any good explanation. Some people say, oh, well, it's about King Richard III. Some people say, oh, Humpty Dumpty was the name of a cannon that sat on top of this wall that protected this city. I even saw somebody use it to prove the second law of thermodynamics. (laughs) But nobody really knows. And I don't have so much origin questions as I have deeper questions about this story. First, why is Humpty Dumpty always an anthropomorphic egg? And did he get picked on a lot as a child because his name was Humpty Dumpty? That's a heavy burden to carry. What was he doing on the wall? What was he looking at? Did he fall or get pushed? And who was he that he was so important that all of the king's horses and men came to his aid? And what part did the horses play in trying to put him back together? because that doesn't seem right either. And how is it that he went from a life of peace to a life in pieces? And that's what we wanna talk about this morning. You see, I don't usually think too deeply about nursery rhymes, but over the past several weeks, I've been studying what it means to be anxious and what it means to be at peace. And as I've kind of jumped into this topic in the New Testament, you see here, the word for anxious in the New Testament means this. It means drawn in opposite directions, divided into parts, not whole. And if you wrestle with anxiety, maybe you understand that completely and you say, I'm living that definition. But the definition of peace in the New Testament is the exact opposite. When all of the essential parts are joined together, wholeness. And so Humpty Dumpty experienced anxiety with his life in pieces and was searching for that wholeness. And maybe this story resonates with us and maybe it's something that's in our collective consciousness because maybe in some ways it's our story. Maybe we are finally gotten to the top of the wall there and we're gonna sit down for a minute and rest and relax and enjoy the view and we either fall or we get pushed and we end up life in pieces and we're searching for a way to put all of those pieces back together and it doesn't seem to be working. And for some in the room, that's a that's a seasonal thing. Anxiety kind of comes and goes, and for some in the room, it's a chronic thing. And your life seems to be in pieces all of the time, but for all of us, when that happens, we are searching for a way to put the pieces back together. And scripture tells us that the God of peace is able to put together the pieces of our lives. That God can bring peace to our pieces. 
And we want to lean into that. He's given us some things to lean into, some habits to form. And we're on our second week of an anxiety series. And if you were here last week, Rob did such a great job kicking it off. As a matter of fact, it was, it was so good at the start. I wanted to play a clip from his message, but it ended up being like 12 minutes long that I wanted to play. And I didn't think that that would do justice to this message as well. But, but he gave a great explanation to something that's difficult to explain. It's something that's complex. And if we're honest... Church, oftentimes we've kind of simplified anxiety. And we've tried to attach guilt and shame and we've said things like, well, just don't, just don't do it. But it's really a complex topic. He showed us this pie chart last week about these could be the causes. It could be one or all of these things. It could be cultural or medical or psychological or philosophical or spiritual, it could be one or two or three, or all of them just mixed together in our lives that lead to anxiety. Now, since this is a spiritual house, we're gonna talk about the spiritual aspect this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter four, if you want to uh, use one of the pew Bibles there, it'll be on page 985. If you wanna use your phones and promise not to be on social media, feel free to do that. I mean, I can't really police that, but just know where two or more are gathered, the Lord is there with them, and <laughs> you just read into that what you will. All right, so here's the thing. Paul's coming to the end of his letter to the Philippians, and what he's beginning to do is he's beginning to kind of trim his words because he wants to get as much persuasion and precision as possible, and as he's writing to the Philippians, you need to know that they are a people who are being persecuted. They are a people who are suffering. He particularly points out anxiety. There are people who are anxious about what's going on. You see, in Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas visit Philippi, and when they visit, they're severely beaten and thrown in prison for following Jesus. At the beginning of Philippians, Chapter one, Paul says this, not only do we have the privilege of trusting in Christ, but we also have the privilege of suffering for him. Persecution, suffering, anxiety, but in the middle of these things, in the middle of that moment where you feel like you've had had a great fall and you can't put the pieces back together, Paul offers a hopeful path. And I wanna read some of that this morning in Philippians four, but I don't wanna read it as being formulaic. I don't want you to hear this as like, oh, well, if I just do A and B and C, then D will naturally come from that. It's not formulaic, but it is a pathway to peace. There are habits that we can lean into. So we'll start in uh, chapter four, verse four. There's a whole lot going on here. We're gonna talk about a couple things quickly, spend the bulk of the time in verse six, and then a couple things at the end. But verse four says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. So here's how he starts. Rejoice, be full of joy, and be considerate in all you do. Rejoice. Paul doesn't start by saying, don't worry, be happy. He's not talking about happiness because here's the thing. Happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. Happiness is in many ways counterfeit joy. Joy is independent of our circumstances. Happiness always looks right where you are and decides whether this is good or bad. Joy looks to the future. Joy sees the bigger picture. Literally, to rejoice means this. 
a couple things in Scripture. It means God is favorably disposed to us, that he is leaning towards us, and we can delight in his grace. That's what it means to rejoice, to have joy, that God loves you, and he even likes you, and he's leaning towards you. God is leaning into your life, and we can rejoice in the grace that we've received. And here's why we can rejoice, because those things never change. They don't change. Happiness is about circumstances, and circumstances change all of the time. Joy is independent of circumstances. It's about things that never change. God's love for us, his leaning towards us, his grace for us, those things never change. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore hardships. It doesn't mean we just close our eyes to bad things in our lives, but we have hope. And so even as wave after wave seems to wash over us and we're soaked and freezing, we still have hope. We haven't sunk. We're on a firm foundation. So rejoice, be full of joy, and be considerate in all you do, which seems maybe like a strange thing. But if you think about it, if you're under persecution, if you're suffering, if you're incredibly anxious, there's a couple of responses you can have. One is you can just start lashing out at other people. My life is hard, and I want everybody to know it, and I'm going to make your life hard too. And you can be that neighbor or that coworker or that person that's always online writing those nasty comments. You can just lash out at people. Or on the other side of that, you can just shrink inward. When persecution and suffering and anxiety comes, you can just, just wall yourself off from everybody. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to do either of those things. I still want you to live outward, and I want you to do so in a way that's kind and considerate and generous. Because, he says, the Lord's coming soon. Because we have hope. You see, the opposite of joy is not sadness. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. The opposite of joy is having nothing to rest in for the future, being hopeless. And so we rejoice that God is coming for us. When my youngest daughter was about three or four years old, my mom, grandma, called one day and said, I would love to have Hannah come stay with me. And my wife and I were like, sure, you can have her. So she drove up, lives in Medford, drove up and uh, spent a couple days with us. And then the day was time to go. You know, we said goodbye. Everything was packed. She was doing great, ready to get in the car. They got in the car. As soon as they hit I-5, my daughter started crying. And probably in that first hour, she cried about 58 minutes of it. And my mom's thinking was, well, just keep driving. We'll get through it. That's how she raised me. You're fine. <laughs> we'll get through it. So they drove another hour. And of that hour, my daughter cried probably about 60 minutes of it. Just crying. Grandma, I can't get the tears to stop falling out of my eyes. And finally, Grandma's heart broke. And she said, I can't just keep taking her because she's going to keep crying. So she called my wife and said, hey, would you jump in the car? We'll meet. We're going to turn around. She's just not going to make it. So they, they turn around, and they get back on I-5, and immediately the crying stops. It's over. And she's happy, and she's laughing, and she's joking. Same car. Same people. What changed? Direction. And hope. Because she knew mom was coming. She knew mom was coming to get her, and that changed everything about it. And so we can rejoice 
because that's a fact, that's permanent. And we can live considerately, we can live outward because we have hope. God's coming for us. And I, I wanna live better this way. I wanna live with this hope. I, I don't always do it well. I know we have to be firmly pr- planted in the present, but we need to look to the future. And I don't have any great idea about how to keep that before you at all times. This past week, I changed the, the home screen to my phone to Philippians 4, 5 just so it says the Lord is coming soon. And I look at my phone every once in a while. So I see it all the time, just as a little reminder, a little something to keep my head up to say, yeah, he's coming. He's coming for me. I have hope. And then we get to the anxious part of this passage. This is where we're going to get peace from the pieces. Look at verse six. Don't worry about anything. Now let's just pause there for a minute. Don't worry about anything. If you're familiar with the NIV, maybe you're familiar with the way it's written. Be anxious for nothing. Right? Got it? All right, let's close in prayer. (laughs) This verse rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Because when I read this, I go, that's not helpful at all. As a matter of fact, Don't worry about anything like I'm just supposed to be, oh, that's what you mean. Okay, I'll just turn that worry thing off in my life and I'll be fine. And it can be a little bit about guilt and shame in my life. That's a tough verse for me. I saw recently a a video that kind of expresses how I feel about this passage. I want to show you just a small clip of it. You'll recognize the therapist in in this video probably. So what what you're saying is you're uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, Yes, yes, that's it. (laughs) All right, well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? (laughs) You you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So I should just stop it. There you go. There you go. So if you hear anything today, stop it. No, that's, hopefully by our laughter, we realize the ridiculousness of saying, stop it. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious. And and forgive us if, if that's the message that you felt in your anxiety because that's not the message that should be spoken. It's not as if we can under our own strength just be like, yep, I can just turn that piece off. No, because then we start to ask questions like, well, why can't I get over it? What am I doing wrong or even bigger? What's wrong with me that this is still a part of my life? And Paul isn't saying, just stop it. He's offering something hopeful and and we wanna get there, but before we get there, to some of those habits, I wanna take a minute and talk about the culture piece of that pie because I think the current cultural context that we live in offers some significant roadblocks to peace, to wholeness. 
And so this don't worry about anything, we live in a culture that causes this to rise up in us all the time. We live in what many are calling the age of anxiety. Google searches for anxiety and cures is continuing to skyrocket. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, and America is head and shoulders above the rest of the world when it comes to anxiety. We're number one (laughs) in a terrible way. And so there's something about our current cultural context that is causing this to rise up. And I think it's a couple different things. There's many I want to focus on too. First is access. We have everything at our fingertips. We carry the world around in our pockets. We have access to everything. And, And this is how we interact with the world. And it's not always a healthy way. I read an article a couple months ago about our addiction to our devices. And it had this quote in it, even when we try to rest, we are restless. And we reach for our phones or tablets because our bodies and our imaginations have forgotten what else there is to reach for. We've forgotten what else there is to reach for because we have access to this and we've become addicted and our devices have given us permission to kind of downshift into our lesser selves. And we spend way too much time on social media. And social media can be great, but it's not a neutral space. And more often than not, it's a negative space. You know how you feel when you've spent a lot of time scrolling. And FOMO is real. Fear of missing out is a very real thing. Jealousy is a very real thing. When you see people living a life that you're not living, or when you see your good friends have done something and posted a picture and you're not in it. And you weren't even invited and you can just continue to scroll and go on that downward spiral and everything is captured on video and photo, which means our image has to be perfect. It's a toxic perfectionism. There's a filter for everything. It's no wonder we continue to ask ourselves, am I good enough? And the other thing about everything being captured on photo and video is that mistakes never go away. They're always right there. There's not enough filter to erase the shame and the anxiety that comes from some of our mistakes. And they're always right there. I am so glad I grew up in an era that didn't record everything. Because I don't think I could be a youth pastor. (laughs) Because people would go, you can't hang out with my children. Did you see what you did? Remember that? The mistakes don't seem to go away. We have unprecedented access to the world which means that we see the world as a big, wonderful, scary place because scary sells and we see scary a lot and anxiety rises. And then also we see how the 0.001% of the wealthiest people live and that gives us anxiety too because we're like, well, why don't we live like that? How come I don't have that? It's great that we can share so much, but what if one of the major things that we're sharing is anxiousness? is anxiety. It's, it's a major roadblock to peace in our lives. And I think the other major roadblock that we face in our culture is expectations. I want us to think about our expectations for a minute because I think we believe that happiness is one of our inalienable rights and that if we're not happy, something is wrong with us. It's what we expect. It's what we demand. We don't expect struggle. We don't expect sorrow. We don't expect persecution. We expect happiness. When we don't get it, anxiety rises. I've been reading this book called My Age of Anxiety. And it says the root of almost all clinical anxiety 
stems from the ontological givens. It stems from the things that are inevitable, the things that will happen in our lives, that we will grow old, that we will die, that we will lose people we love. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That we will likely endure identity-shaking failures, personal humiliations, that we might struggle to find purpose, that we make trade-offs between personal freedom and a emotional security, all of these things that are going to happen to us at some point in our lives. They're inevitable. And yet we feel like that's not the expectation I have for my life. And when it happens, we get anxious. And then we get anxious at our anxiousness and sad by our sadness and surprised at how surprised we are and nervous about how nervous we are. We've come to convince ourselves that we shouldn't experience these things that somehow they should be softened in our lives. And we might even come to that point where we believe, well, I gave my life to Jesus, and so nothing like this should happen to me. That it should all be good. And that's an expectation we carry around. C.S. Lewis in his book, God in the Dock, says this. Imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Half of them think it's a hotel. The other half think it's a prison. Those who think it's a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable, like they never change the sheets. I never get fresh towels here. And those who thought it was a prison might decide that it was really surprisingly comfortable. And then he goes on to say this, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for our happiness, you find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place of training and correction, and it's not so bad. Our expectations matter. When my wife and I were moving to Oregon, they said, you need to expect rain. It rains in Oregon, like nine months of the year, rain. If we came here expecting it to be like Hawaii, we would be disappointed. We would be anxious. When you go to Disney, you expect people in your personal space. Students, finals week, you expect a lot of time hitting the books or all-nighters. As a Christian, What do we expect? Do we expect everything to be just blessing and happiness and good? Or do we expect that there's going to be some suffering and persecution? As Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 16, it's a passage about suffering and joy. He says this, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me, wholeness. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Here on earth, we will have trials and we will have sorrows. And we have to have that expectation. If we don't have that expectation, we either think that we've really messed up or God's mean. Instead of remembering that the world's broken and that we have an enemy who's out to get us. We need to change our expectations We need to develop maybe a theology of training and correction, a theology of preparation with the understanding that this life is preparing us for all of eternity. But in light of access and expectations, oftentimes we're left feeling unsteady, overwhelmed, inadequate, disappointed, unfulfilled, and anxious, and we choose counterfeit peace. We choose to lean into things that we think will give us peace. And there's a lot of things out there that we can lean into. But I think one of the major things that people lean into today is cynicism. 
I think people use cynicism as a form of protection, cynicism as a form of guarding our hearts and minds, this skepticism, this distrust of people and the world, this aloofness. We want to put some distance between ourselves and other things. And so we've chosen cynicism as our peace. We pretend not to care that we've fallen off the wall and our life is in pieces. As a matter of fact, we pretend not to care about anything. That's why the buzzword for an entire generation is whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever. It's why we like Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy, if you've seen that movie. Incredibly cynical. And I'll be honest, I wear this around. My false peace is not binging on something or overdoing something. It's usually cynicism. It's usually aloofness and separation. But here's the thing, cynicism does not bring wholeness. Cynicism does not put the pieces of our lives back together. And cynicism isn't the pathway to peace. As a matter of fact, it's the pathway to apathy and bitterness and anxiety. And I don't really want to walk around thinking that it will guard my heart and mind. Because only the God of peace is able to put together the pieces of our lives. Only the God of peace can do that. And so instead of hearing with this passage, stop it. Stop worrying about everything. Turn it off. And instead of hearing, well, just, you know, cynicism. You can put on cynicism. It'll protect you just fine. Here's what he says. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Okay, so pray about everything and thank God for the things that he's done. Pray about everything. Maybe you hear that and you go, well, I've, I've tried that. It didn't work. And what we mean by that is I prayed and I asked God for something and that didn't happen and so I stopped asking. But we don't pray to get stuff. We pray because God is sovereign. We pray because God is in control. We pray because it's obedience God asks us to. We pray because it changes things. We pray because it changes us. We pray because it strengthens us and it deepens our faith. We pray because prayer breaks down strongholds. We pray because it's talking and it's listening. And it's an opportunity for God to speak to us. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he said, I want you to use this phrase, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Prayer is not trying to align God with our personal agenda. Prayer is trying to align ourselves to God's agenda. That's why we pray. We don't pray just to get stuff and maybe it's hard for you to pray and maybe it feels like you always just bump into a wall but I want to assure you that God is listening. Maybe you feel like you've done things that are so bad that God would never listen to you again but we need to pray like God is listening intently. In Milton's work, Paradise Lost, he tells the story of Adam and Eve walking around despondently knowing that what they've done, the sin they've committed has completely thrown the world off of its axis. And they have this idea that God will never again be interested in them, will never again listen to them. And then the author writes this. He says, Adam looked up and he saw a ray of hope. And Adam says, I saw God, gentle, forgiving, bending his ear. And persuasion grew in me that I was heard with favor and peace returned that God is listening, God is mild, God is forgiving, God is leaning towards us. And so we pray about everything. 
whatever it is, not to get the results that we think, although sometimes God does that in our lives, but because he is sovereign. And we need to have prayers full of thanksgiving. Our prayers need to be thankful prayers. Now, oftentimes when a cynic prays a thankful prayer, he says, God, thanks for nothing. But we need to be truly thankful in our prayers. Our prayers cannot just be requests. We need to spend a good amount of time thanking God. And the reason is, is because thankfulness reverses the downward spiral. Thankfulness reverses our downward spiral. Think of it, think of tetherball with me for a minute. Um, if how many of you played tetherball before? Know what it is? How many of you seen Napoleon Dynamite? Great, okay. Remember that, tetherball, you know, the pole and the string and the ball. And imagine that you're playing somebody who's bigger and taller and stronger than you, and you're trying to hit the ball this way, and they're trying to hit the ball this way, and they keep hitting it, and it's over your head, and it's going faster and faster, and it's getting tighter and tighter, and it's getting further and further away from you, and you're just feeling so anxious, you want to explode. But eventually that ball's going to get to the pole, and here's what thankfulness is. Thankfulness is the reset. Thankfulness in our lives is what allows that to kind of spin the other way. Thankfulness in our lives is allows that to loosen up a little bit and relax and give some space and give some freedom. Thankfulness reverses the downward spiral. And there's so many deep and wonderful things to be thankful about in Scripture. We don't have time to list them all. Let me give you a couple. Our value is secure. Our worth is not dependent upon our behavior. Our present is not quite secure, but our future is very secure. And our value is who God says we are. And God says we're holy and dearly loved. And we can always be thankful about these things because they are constant. And we pray in thankfulness, it says, then God, you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You see, God is sovereign and God is merciful and his peace will guard our hearts. It's a peace that we can't get through binging on things. It's a peace we can't get through cynicism. It's a peace we only find in Christ and he guards us, this military term. He will guard our hearts and minds as we continue to pray about everything, to admit to his sovereignty and not our own, as Jeff said, to crown him and don't wear the crown ourselves and to be thankful. And then verses eight and nine, just in closing. Sometimes we think of these verses as detached and we wanna use them for another message, but they're connected. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing then the God of peace will be with you. We need to think well and we need to act well. And oftentimes, you know, we, we say, listen to your heart, but then we don't hear what we want from our heart and it causes us to worry. Sometimes we have to speak over ourselves. We have to speak what God has spoken to us. In Psalm 42, David says, why are you so downcast, my soul? You know, who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. And oftentimes, if we listen to our heart, we get nervous because we have an enemy who's an accuser and who's a liar and who's going to say, you're not a Christian. You're not even saved. I don't even know why they hang out with you. Look at all that bad stuff you've done. 
And we don't need to think about those because those things will, anxiety will continue to rise. We need to think about the things that are true and right and noble and pure. And we need to act well too. We can't just fold in. We need to act outward and live well because God is with us. He promises his presence. That's what it says. In this struggle, in this suffering, in this sorrow, God doesn't remove us from it necessarily, but he walks through it with us because that's who he is. And so as we look at this, there are things, I don't know which one thing you want to hang on to. Whether it's just rejoicing and living outward, we need to be praying thankfully. We need to continue to think well and act well because this is who God is. A God who says, I want to bring peace to the pieces. I tried to find verse two of the Humpty Dumpty poem because it really leaves us hanging, doesn't it? I mean, we get to the end, all the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put them together again, period, done. And I wanted to find the second verse. I wanted to see if it started either with something about an omelet. I wasn't sure. (laughs) But what I really wanted, what I really wanted was I wanted that verse to be about all the king's horses and men couldn't do it. Everywhere you searched, nothing could do it except the king. The king came. The king came and brought peace to the pieces. Nothing else worked, but when the king stepped in, He brought his peace. He brought his wholeness because that's what God says he will do for us. And we want to pray to that end this morning. God has done amazing healings in this place. And we've committed over the last week and continuing into next week that we want to pray healing over anxiety. And maybe you're in this room and you stood up last week and had a great week. Or maybe you're in this room and you stood up last week and nothing changed. I would invite you to stand again. We're going to pray healing over anxiety in our lives. And if that's something that you suffer from, I would ask you to take that step of faith and stand up, please. If you would stand up and we just want to pray that over you here this morning. We trust that God is a God who heals. We've seen him do it. And if you're close to someone, if you would just stretch out your hand and just pray for them what God has. So will you join me in prayer? God, I want to begin even by saying, forgive us, forgive me for choosing false peace. Forgive me for putting on cynicism. Forgive us for doing things that we think will guard our hearts and minds when you do that. And so we ask for forgiveness, God. And God, I ask this morning that you would release your healing power in this room. We trust that you are a God who heals. We trust that you are a God who longs to bring peace to our pieces. And so we just pray that over the room this morning. I pray healing for anxiety in this place today. I pray your peace to be released in this room. God, there's people in this room that do not sleep well at all. I pray rest for them. There are people in this room that need to step into things that you're calling them to, but they just quite can't get there. I pray courage and grace for where they are over them. God, there's people in this room that can't forget things that have happened in their past. I pray your forgiveness and your wonderful forgetfulness over them this morning. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for leaning into us. We wanna be thankful for who you are and we just ask for continued healing in this place. 
Jesus, we thank you that your work on the cross made provision for every one of those areas of anxiety. Your work on the cross covers them all. And we ask for that covering this morning. And Jesus, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.